Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you find <laughs> and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to your daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. You good? All right. Hey, everyone, thanks for that reading, Albert. That was really good. And for all the youth and young adults who have been a part of this service so far, it's been an awesome effort. Um, I guess, yeah, let's get into it. Um, so we all have expectations. Uh, sorry, the, I'm pulling an E in here. Let's see. This click is not working. Um, <laughs> We are experiencing some technical difficulties. Oh, it's all right, we'll push on. So if you know me, you know that I can have some pretty high expectations, especially when it comes to food, uh, like you couldn't tell already. Uh, my wife, Beck and I have this thing where we plan out our meals and we cook, that we cook in a week in advance. Uh, on our joint calendar, so sounds a bit obsessive, right? Probably is, but we're never having the same meal twice a week, and that's a massive win for me. Um, on Fridays, we try to do something really like quick and simple. Um, it's often a rush from Beck getting home to me heading out for the youth. Um, this sometimes leads to some interesting meal decisions, so as I like to call them, experiments. Um, the other Friday, we had this sausage ragu tray bake um, pasta lined up. Was, the description of the meal was basically just sausages and pasta. Um, now, let me tell you, my expectations were low. I wasn't convinced that this would be a worthy meal for my temple of a body, but hey, we got to eat. When we actually got to the meal, and I put that first mouthful of sausage ragu alla spaghetti into my mouth, my world changed. It was an out-of-body experience, a meal fit for a king. 
This meal didn't meet my expectations. It blew them away. Now, today is Palm Sunday. Um, it's a day that thousands of years ago, so many people placed their own expectations on a man from Nazareth. It was a day of happiness. It was a day of celebration. It was a day of hope. Thousands of people were gathered, waving palm branches in triumphant procession as this man Jesus comes riding into town on a donkey. But how did so many people go from being so happy on Sunday to yelling, crucify him on Friday? How did cheers and celebration turn into anger and accusation in just five short days? The crowds had misplaced expectations on who Jesus was to them and what he was going to do in their lives. So when you have expectations, it changes everything. The higher the expectation, the more disillusionment is present, the more despair can be present, the more anger we feel when our expectations aren't met. When you have low expectations, not really disappointed, right? Like, If that sausage ragu pasta wasn't fantastic, I wouldn't be too upset, maybe a little, but my life doesn't change. But when your expectations are higher, there's more space for hurt. Maybe you've experienced this. You've had the expectation that someone you trust would be there for you, would understand you, would love you, but that relationship didn't live up to those expectations. Or maybe you have expectations for your child, that they would be successful, they'd be the next Dustin Martin, they'd have a better life than you had, but things didn't turn out the way that you had expected. On Palm Sunday, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of people who are placing not just high expectations, but misplaced expectations on this man called Jesus. So at this point in time, the Israelite people are getting ready for the Passover festival. This isn't a small celebration. It's not like a festival, like Grooving the Moo out in Bendigo. This is bigger than our AFL Grand Finals. This is the one time that all Israelites come back to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And this is the biggest holiday in their calendar. Historians estimate that over 200,000 people were there in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus for this Passover. That's a lot of people. Let's add another layer of context to this. Passover to the Israelites is a vivid reminder of their own cultural identity. It's a reminder of the suffering that they experienced under Egyptian rule. It's a reminder of the celebration of release from that same entrapment. It's a celebration of God fighting for his people and redeeming them from oppression. Now, Jerusalem is currently under Roman control. Again, once again, they're oppressed by militaristic rulers from a foreign land, much like the Egyptian rule that they were under centuries ago. There's a heightened level of passion, emotion, and patriotism that's buzzing around the Jewish community in this cultural moment. So hold on to that thought. So as we saw in the reading, Matthew starts off his account like this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. 
And at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by now. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. So Matthew, he takes a quote, a prophecy from the Old Testament, which all of the disciples would understand. We rely on like a quick Google search or like a browser, our Bible app um, on our phone. But back in that day, there was a real deep level of understanding of the scriptures and the scrolls. So the disciples would know where that came from and how to apply it to their context that they're in. Jesus tells them to go and get a donkey. And for us, from our perspective, that seems really odd. But look at what the disciples would have known. They would have known what the prophet Zechariah would have said about the coming Messiah. So Zechariah 9.9 reads, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your kingdom comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples have been following Jesus for a while now, about over three years. They'd seen him do miracles, they'd seen him preach, and they had a pretty good idea that he was the Messiah, that he was going to be the next king of Israel. So when Jesus tells them to go and get a donkey, they would have been like, oh, damn, it's about to go down. They would have understood that Jesus would be entering Jerusalem in the way that the Messiah, the king who was prophesied would. They would have been hyped. So when Jesus is coming into town riding on a donkey, the Jewish people would have caught on to this symbolism. They would have also heard about who Jesus was, heard about his miracles that he's performed, about his preaching and teaching. So when they saw him entering the city seated on a donkey, they would have lost their minds. Remember that thought? Everything in this moment is amplified. People are yearning for freedom crying out for a new leader with this heightened sense of nationalism that surrounds Passover. So imagine how much that is intensified when Jesus, this potential liberator for the Israelite people, comes riding on a donkey in triumphal procession into the city of Jerusalem. Jesus' entrance would have, and did, drive people into a frenzy of excitement. Look at their reactions. They cut palm branches and laid them down along with their cloaks, spreading them on the path that Jesus was walking on, or entering on, I should say. This symbol, the palm branch, to the Israelites, it's it's a symbol of victory. It's a symbol of that nationalism. It's also a symbol of their last deliverer of Israel, Judah Maccabeus, who recaptured Jerusalem in 164 BC from the Seleucid Empire. And when that victory happened, The palm branch was waved by people celebrating their triumph. So here's Jesus entering the city, and the actions of the crowds are saying that he is worthy of their palm branches. Here is our next king who's come to revolt against the Roman Empire, who is holding us down. You hear them cry, Hosanna to the son of David. Save us, son of David. They are projecting an identity onto this man on a donkey. It's not just any identity. It's the identity of David, King David, the warrior king, who established Jerusalem as his capital, 
1,000 years beforehand. They believed Jesus to be someone who would be just like David, who will be their warrior king and establish Israel as the center of the universe. So there was a real disconnect between the people's expectation of a militaristic king and who Jesus actually was. They slapped labels on him in the belief that he would be a new leader that would take the people of Israel from slavery to this great ruling nation, free from the shackles of oppression. They expected Jesus to meet their immediate needs. And when those expectations weren't met, they turned their backs on him and removed him from their lives like he never existed. Now, it's easy for us to look back in hindsight and say how deluded these people were, but we do exactly the same thing. In prayer, I've caught myself many times praying for a list of like shopping requests that I expect God to intervene with without even considering his perspective. Are these the things that glorify him? Are they a part of his plan for us? I took my own selfish human context and tried to fit God into a mold of who I want him to be for me. <clears throat> what are your expectations of Jesus? What are the things in your life that you expect Jesus to do for you? We can get stuck with our own well-driven expectations of Jesus. We place limits on him with our limited perspective. In the 1994 film, The Shawshank Redemption, classic, there's a character called Brooks Hatland. He's a long-term inmate, a librarian of the prison that he's currently serving his time in. And for 50 years, he's been told when to wake up, when to go to sleep, when to eat, when to shower. He had become institutionalized within the prison system. So upon hearing the news that the review board had granted him parole, Brooks reacted in a very surprising and aggressive manner. He took another inmate, he held a knife to his neck, and he exclaims in pain, I've got no choice. It's the only way that they'll let me stay. So for Brooks, his perception of the outside world is one of negative uncertainty. So within the prison walls, he, was, he had security, he had a sense of his own personal identity, he had respect from others, he had a network of supports. But outside those walls, he sees the outside world as a terrifying space where he just doesn't belong. And you can empathize with that, right? Brooks found comfort in what he knew. But because he was so comfortable, it was impossible for him to see any positives of the world outside. We can get caught focusing on just what's in front of us. <clears throat> we can be fixated on the things that are tangible and understandable from one limited perspective. You see, as Ian, who has been talking about in his last sermon series on shape, we all covered it from different angles. We all have our own experiences and personalities that frame our perception of life, which filter not only how we interpret the world, 
but filters how we interpret God in our lives. Now, these aren't bad things. These are part of the things that make us who we are, unique beings created in the image of God. We just need to be cautious that we're not framing God in the image of us, that we're not placing misplaced expectations on the identity of Jesus. The good news for us is that Jesus is beyond our expectations. Jesus is beyond our expectations. Jesus knows our human limitations and still loves us intimately. 1 Corinthians 2.9 reads, This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus knows that our finite minds can't even begin to understand all the good things that God has prepared for us. He takes our limited expectations of him and he blows them out of the water. The Israelites don't have high expectations of Jesus as their king and conqueror over Rome. Their expectations of Jesus were actually too low. Despite the misplaced expectations uh, that the Israelites' claims for Jesus to be their Messiah were actually correct, Jesus was absolutely the king that they had been hoping and waiting for. They just couldn't comprehend the transformation that Jesus was about to bring not only to their lives, but to the lives of all humankind. It's not like Jesus was trying to hide any of this from them. Jesus wanted them to know his deeper purpose for their lives. So Palm Sunday was Jesus entering his final week of life on earth. He'd been building towards this moment throughout his whole ministry, coming to a point, this climax, to show the world his mission to save them. Jesus is indicating to everyone that the ways of doing life, the ways of negotiating the dynamics of the world were coming to an end. Now, it might seem strange to us that the crowds would gather to watch a man enter a city in this manner, but these triumphal processions aren't anything new to those living in this context. The Greco-Roman culture obviously had a large influence on the world as they knew it, and Roman generals would ride horses through the cities of the Roman Empire proclaiming the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, which really wasn't acquired very peacefully. They would use these processions to spread propaganda, exclaiming the greatness of their empire. But contrast this to Jesus. He comes on the back of a servant animal, a donkey, a colt, a symbol of suffering and humility. It's not a horse which is a symbol of warfare and the choice of conquerors. What kind of hero chooses to enter a city with a donkey over a horse? Maybe besides Shrek. Jesus is telling those witnessing this procession that he is different. That he's not like the Roman Empire, rulers of the Roman Empire who are oppressing these whites. He's not like any other king has stepped foot onto this earth before. Jesus was showing them, showing us, a new definition of a king. It wasn't a bloody victory over Rome as the Israelites had expected, but victory over sin and death. 
Instead of using the sword as his weapon, Jesus would use the cross. It'd be a victory that gave an opportunity for the people of the world to reconcile into a relationship with God. Jesus didn't come into this world to fit our molds. He didn't come into this world to meet our expectations. He came to go beyond them. By accepting Jesus' identity as God's promised Messiah, we can place our hope in so much more than the world can offer. We can humble ourselves and accept the way that his way is better than our way. We can raise our expectations of the things that Jesus has prepared for us and take heart that Jesus is beyond anything we can imagine. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that despite our misplaced expectations of you, you go beyond them. Thank you for your intimate love for us, that you transformed the dynamics of this world and reconciled us with you. Help us to accept your role in our lives and recognize the limits we place upon you. Your way is better than the world's way, and we want to trust in you. Amen.